Hi, listeners. It's Tom here. We have a very special episode of the podcast for you today. Paul Dickinson and I had the great pleasure and privilege to sit down with Paul Simpson, the CEO of CDP for 20 years, who is stepping down from his post on Thursday, which is the day this podcast comes out. This is the end of an era. Paul is one of the great leaders in the climate space. And this is just one chapter of his life. I'm sure he'll go on to do many other things. But in this interview, Paul Dickinson and I dig in with Paul Simpson to what it meant to him to run CDP for all these years, where the world is after all this work and what comes next. It's a great conversation. You're going to love it. And stick around, particularly for the credits at the for end. the credits, particularly. Which is you might a, be yeah. in them. You never know. You never know. Here's the episode. Hello and welcome to Outrage and Optimism. I'm Tom Rivikarnik. I'm Paul Dickinson. And I'm Paul Simpson. This week, we have the conclusion of a 22-year argument between the two men I'm sitting in a room with. <laughs> It'll all make sense in a minute. Thanks for being here. So, I am beyond excited to be sitting in the room with these two men. And I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes, listeners. Why not these two people... That's a good point, Paul. Thank you. Paul's very good at correcting me on this. These two people, these two brilliant people. So 15 years ago, I had what I still consider to be one of the luckiest breaks of my career when I turned up at the offices of CDP, which was about eight or nine people at the time in a grotty office in North London uh, for a job interview. And through some unknown reason, I was offered the job. Uh, and I talked to Paul Simpson, Paul Dickinson and Nigel Topping, former guest on this podcast. And CDP at the time was already a six, seven-year-old organization that was creating enormous strides to change the world. And I remember in my interview that I had with both of you, you said, uh, you said a couple of things, but one of them was that your ultimate boss was the ice caps and that the strategy of your organization was to do what helped the ice caps melt as slowly as possible. And I've heard you say this, both of you, in speeches since then. It really made an effect on me, the broader way in which we can actually live in service to a shared objective. Now, as I got to know you, uh, many people said to me that what CDP actually is, is sort of like a marriage between the two of you. And at the time they said CDP is a seven-year argument between Paul Simpson and Paul Dickinson. And that argument uh, or collaboration has now been going on for 22 years, which is an amazing length of time. And now on the day this podcast is being released, Paul Simpson is leaving. And Paul, we have the enormous privilege of now having a conversation with you about 22 years of your life, what you've learned, where you've come from, and what you're going to do next, or what the world should do next. So first of all, welcome to Outrage and Optimism. Welcome, Mr. Paul. Well, it's wonderful <laughs> to be here. I've been listening and now I'm here. It's fantastic. Now you're here. Exactly. So should we just start off with a little bit of your story? So you joined CDP kind of right at the beginning. And can you just kind of set out for us that journey where you joined CDP, what you hoped the organization could achieve? And with, what, what the hell is CDP? What the hell is CDP? And what the world was like at the time, the mountain that you had to climb? Because honestly, it was a really unlikely story all those years ago. Well, I first met 
Paul Dickinson and Tessa Tennant uh, at a, a conference in the mountains of the Netherlands. There aren't actually any mountains in the Netherlands. <laughs> but yeah, some, that doesn't sound very believable. Yeah. <laughs> there are some tiny hills in the south of the Netherlands, a place called Vaal. So we met at a social venture network conference. Social venture network came from the Nether- from the US. It's called the Donuts, people who give away money to do good. Uh, Anita Roddick brought it to Europe. Anyway, we, we met there. We didn't know each other. CDP wasn't even an idea or a thing. Uh, Paul Dickinson tried to get me to work with him on a, on a web website called sustainabledevelopment.co.uk. You astonish me. He's still doing things like that. These and days. I said, well, it's kind of interesting, but I'm off to the Himalayas and then I'm New Zealand and I'll talk to you in a while. Um, by the way, what did you do in the Himalayas? Because that is an s- interesting thing you did. Uh, I worked for a woman called Helena Norberg-Hodge, uh, the International Society for Ecology and Culture, trying to bridge globalisation and localization. What do local indigenous communities know and need and can offer to the world and how can we avoid them getting trashed quite frankly by globalization the wisdom in indigenous communities could help globalization be better so we were trying to be a bridge between tourists and the indigenous community in the wonderful uh, himalayas in ladakh 4300 meters above sea level amazing yeah but back, anyway, so I came back from New Zealand uh, and I was skint uh, looking for a job. And I thought, oh, there's this kind of crazy guy I met in, in, the, in the Netherlands a while ago. I'll see if he wants to go for lunch. And Paul Dickinson, as ever, you know, will always go for lunch. Uh, so we went for lunch. <laughs> or dinner or breakfast or anything, really. <laughs> we, went, we went for lunch and um, credit to Paul. He said, well, we're, I'm working with this woman, Tessa Tennant. I said, well, I, I did meet her in the Netherlands. Uh, we've got this amazing idea. We're going to transform the world. Right? Very, very good salesperson, this Paul Dickinson. Um, it's quite High level sales pitch, though, isn't it? Uh, very high level. It's <laughs> always that's what what brought me in. Uh, long story short, Paul said that what we want to do is get investors to instruct corporations to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The simple thesis was that uh, you know we'd had the uh, the then most recent IPCC report in I think the year two thousand. We'd all read it. We were all petrified, terrified about what was coming. This is a long while ago, but yeah. they all said the same thing. They just get more. By the more way, uh, listeners, it came. But sorry, carry on. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, so very worried about climate change at, at that point, still are. Uh, and Paul said, well, we're going to, you know, if you think about governments are beginning to think about how do we regulate on climate change, protect the public good, the problem is corporations are going to stop them. This is Paul Dickinson's thesis, uh, you know, pretty accurate in many ways, uh, not completely true these days. Long story short, we needed to bring the investment community in because they control the capital, they can influence the corporations, and they're the long-term owners of, of everybody's capital. So how do we get them to protect society from climate change? Which, which is amazing if you think about how new that idea was, right? I mean, this is like year 2000, 2001, something like that. Really, investors weren't in any organised way trying to think about how climate change was going to affect the economy, which, of course, now is front and centre of it's many not they weren't doing it in any organised way. They weren't doing it. Right, OK. <laughs> they also, most of them didn't even really weren't sure if climate change was real. OK. So how, I mean, so, so t- take me to the next step. What happens, you have this bonkers idea, what happens next? Well, then, you know, it's the power of the exam question, right? How are we going to leverage investors' power um, to address climate change? That was kind of... You could phrase it in different ways. Paul might. Uh, but that was the exam question. Well, first of all, who are the investors? Who Who is all this money? It's people who are lucky enough to have it. It's aggregated in the investment community who then have immense power over corporations. Could we get them to instruct companies to reduce emissions? We, we went round uh, Tessa's Rolodex. You know, Tessa founded uh, Social Response Investment in the UK. She had a great Rolodex of investors. 
asked them the question. People sort of shrugged, pulled their hair, pulled funny faces. No one really knew what to say. You know, can you as investors instruct companies to reduce emissions? The broad answer was no. Uh, a, we're not sure we should be doing anything on climate change. What is climate change? Is it real? Is it really a risk? Surely it's a long way in the future. But then secondly, even if we thought climate change is a problem, we as investors cannot instruct management what to do. And if we do, they'll they'll invest to reduce emissions. This was the thinking. Profits will go down and then we'll fire or punish management. So the feedback loops didn't even work. Right. That was a widespread perspective, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but you did. So tell me about that. You did get investors on board. We did. We we were accused of smoke and mirrors. Uh, and of course, the mail had been a bit of smoke and a couple of mirrors. Um, so really, what we realised, if you ask one investor, will they sign a letter to request disclosure from companies they invest in? And so that's a key point, is pulling back from that rather assertive telling companies to reduce emissions to saying, all right, well, Disclosure. We're, we're, we're asking for information. Oh, I see. So the first iteration was to ask them to reduce. Which we couldn't do. I see. And so then you asked them to just measure and disclose and have transparency as a first step. Exactly. Because some of the smart, passionate people in the investment community said, we can't instruct management to do something. Yes. What we need is data. Yes. We don't have any data. If you go away and get us data, we can then work out what to do. Yes. That's what led to Carbon Disclosure Project, CDP. And you were presumably doing this all on a shoestring. Wait, by the way, we weren't yeah, called Carbon yeah. Exposure Project. We were actually called Carbon Exposure Project. And then uh, <laughs> a wonderful lady called Ariane Van Buren, who was working at Sarah's, said, no, 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 carbon disclosure. And we were like, yeah, no, that's better. Okay. So then this group of investors built and you started sending letters. Well, and just the smoke and mirror. So we went around and said, would you sign this letter? And everyone said, well, first question, who else has signed it? <laughs> no, nobody yet, because we're just in the process of building a group to sign it. Would you sign it? Who else has signed it? So we managed to get 18 investors who said, I will sign it if somebody else does. Yeah, and uh, they, they allowed us to say that they were intending to sign it. Oh, God. So you had to go around saying, well, if you do, then we've got another group. No, no, will, yeah, will, yeah. You, will you allow us not to, not to say that you're going to sign the letter, but to say that you're intending to sign the letter? Oh, my God. If others do. You know, he's like, right. no one's really very willing to put their head above the parapet at that point. But then Paul Dickinson emailed 18 investors saying, you've all said you intend to sign if others do, and all transparent who the others were. Now, please sign. Um, important to note, there was one slight hiccup before that where... An American investor said, well, we, we would intend, but your letter says, as investors, we wish to better understand the risks and opportunities from climate change. We can't say that. We cannot, as an investor, say that climate change is real. You have to it's put the word... It's basically communism, climate change. <laughs> so if you, you know, sorry. You have to put the word perception in there. So there were loads of sort of step backs, weakening from the original thesis in order to move forward. And that's just life. But do you know, it? oddly enough, we could prove that there were actions in response to the perception of climate change because there was something called the climate change levy on UK electricity bills. So even though we couldn't say climate change was real, we could say there were actions in response to the perception of climate change. And that got us through. And then, and then suddenly, so we sent this email to 18 investors. Of course, thankfully, they all said, yes, we'll sign. When we got 18, we could go to the other 50 we've been talking to. And we ended up with 35 investors with a cumulative $4.5 trillion of assets on the 31st of May 2002, signing a letter to the 500 largest companies in the world, to the chair of the board. Mm -hmm. uh, so investors should communicate with the chair of the board. That's their key touch point if they have a problem with a company and sent registered posts by UPS so that we could guarantee every company received it. They so this is even like email 
Did you email it as well, or this was just sent no, in the mail? We didn't have their email. We didn't have their email, email address. There were dinosaurs <laughs> flying across the earth. You know, this is 20, <laughs> but it's 2002. It's a long it's, time ago. It's worth pointing out that when I started CP, I did not own a mobile phone. Right. Uh, I went for lunch one day uh, and got back on my landline. There's a message from Tessa saying, Paul, I've been trying to get hold of you for one hour. That's exactly right. One hour. Please buy a mobile phone. <laughs> it's a true story. My children don't believe me. Um, anyway, so we, we got this letter uh, and... The reason it was UPS delivered, we could prove it be sent. And then Swiss Re, who were one of the signatories, very clever, said exhibit A in any future lawsuit against company or directors and officers will be the CDP letter, 31st of May 2002. Mm. We put the companies on notice as a risk. How could they say climate change wasn't real at the time? Um, can I also just, just throw in an unfun fact? Please. Um, we were... Always love your unfun facts. We Thank were... you, Paul. They liven our days. We yeah. were stuffing the envelopes <laughs> ourselves manually by hand so we could see the address labels of the chair of the board of the 500 largest companies in the world in 2002. So this is the two of you in a basement with 500 letters. That's correct. A couple okay. of other people couple, helping couple, us. Yeah. But we wrote to two women. The next year when we wrote to the chair of the board of the oh, 500 wow. companies, we wrote to one woman and then the third year, two women. So when something is fluctuating between 99.6 and 99.8% one gender, it is basically segregation. So yeah. just to say, you know, if you're wondering why the world's in so much trouble, it's because men run were running everything. Hopefully that will change. But Paul, I do, I do remember you getting slightly excited. So, oh, I'm signing a letter to Jeff Immel. I'm signing a letter to Bill Gates. I was. I'm signing I was. a letter to Lee Raymond, was the CEO of ExxonMobil at the time. <gasps> we then got into quite a conversation. If you're the CEO of a large fossil fuel company, how much power flesh do you have? Right. Power flesh is, you know, as you get older, you get this very large amount of flesh under your chin because you've been too wined and dined, basically. I mean, we're all at risk of it, but just watch out. Right. Well, I am getting a bit of an insight into this 20-year argument that is conversation between you two. I'm also just noticing 31st of May, we're now the end of June. That is almost exactly 20 years ago that you yes. were doing that. That's kind of amazing, actually. And unfortunately, I mean, there's a long arc of that, right? But... To go through that, what did you find in the first year and then what changed in the next years? Because you you put in, in train a process in 2002 that has continued every single year for the last 20 years between now and then. I remember working here. It's like there's this annual cycle of the letters go out, people respond, you know, et cetera. So, so just tell us where we were at the beginning in terms of the response to climate. And then I'd love to know what that arc looked like. Well, the interesting thing is that the first questionnaire was seven questions on one side of A4 paper. CP questionnaire is a little bit longer these days. Um, Firstly, but secondly, 245 out of 500 companies responded with some form of disclosure. That's a lot, right? I mean, that's surprising, yeah? The investors, we normally get 10 or 15% responses. We were getting close to 50 because, you know, the union makes the force. More than one investor, they're, they're joining up saying right. one investor, two investor, three investors, four investors, starting to send a small signal. Uh, so that really helped. We had these 245 responses and Paul and Tessa and Jeremy and I and, uh, sat around and said, well, what do we do now? Because we didn't have a plan. It was called the Carbon Disclosure Project. It was just a project. Right. It was not an organisation. And then we said, well, hold on. This is like, you know, financial accounting. Corporations are used to an annual cycle. How do markets work? Corporations are used to annual cycle of financial accounting. We had a meeting with all the investors and said, should this become an annual cycle? And they all said, yes. Hmm. And so it's really bringing, you know, institutionalizing something into markets, ultimately, that markets are used to that, that very cycle. And then it just grew from there. So how do we get more investors? The moment you have some, others are easier to get in. 
Yeah, and and, we, and companies would say, well, I'm just responding because my investors have asked me, but now my competitors are doing it, so I really better do it. Right. Yeah, we used to call ourselves voluntary, or people would call it a voluntary disclosure system. Actually, no, we're market-led. We use the power in the authority of money, really, so investors and later procurement to drive change. So, so, so just, the, just, just yeah. some fun facts about... These are fun facts now. Yeah. Um, Have you actually got any fun facts? <laughs> They're all fun facts. It's just the first one was so depressing. <laughs> I couldn't call it fun. But like... Um, a lot of the early responses said, we haven't got these data, but we will get them. So that was like a really strong signal to go and do a, a second year and a third okay. year and continue. Secondly, just one thing. I remember the very first response from any corporation was from Marks and Spencers in the UK. And they said, if we can get the washing temperature down uh, by using different detergents, we can cut up half a percent off the UK electricity bill. Good systems thinking. But it w- Sorry, it wasn't actually the very first response because... Royal, oh, you're Ro- right. You're Ro- absolutely right. <laughs> Royal Bank of Scotland, who we'd asked to be a signatory investor and became one, credit to them, um, they actually sent us the filled-in questionnaire. We said, no, no, Before no, we, we'd sent it. We didn't ask for the questionnaire <laughs> to be filled in. We asked you to sign the request to companies. Very wise, though. They said, we're not going to ask companies to do something we can't do ourselves. Ah, nice. There's some wisdom in that. Yeah. No, I'm very, very, and final fun fact, uh, American Electric Power came in reporting about 150 million tonnes of CO2, for example. These were big numbers. Suddenly we noticed that recognisable percentages of the world's emissions were being reported to a windowless basement. With a rat. With a rat. With Are the we rat. Like to talk about the rat? <laughs> talk about the rat. Well, I was at working from home, as we did a lot in those days. Uh, Daniel Turner, who's one of our early colleagues, about six foot three, um, uh, is in the office. Zoe Cholak Antitz, also in the office. Zoe phones me up and says, Paul, there's a rat. Daniel's on the table screaming. I don't know what to do. I said, phone Paul Dickinson. He always knows what to do. Uh, next thing I know, Paul Dickinson's gone out, brought the wire wool and the expanding foam, put it in it's and done it. Now, this, Paul, this is clear. very impressive. This is yeah. not normal fa- behaviour for, for Paul Dickinson. Normally when there's no. a problem, he's like, I'm really busy. I've got to yeah. just go somewhere Leave else. the country. But he yeah. saved the day that time. Uh, I, it, I mean, it, these were miserable offices. We, we lived for seven years in a, in a windowless basement, a menace by rats. But they were donated by uh, our, our dear friend at Rufus Leonard, uh, a design company. So it was just, it was the sort of rough and ready startup, right? Uh, very much right. Yeah, when Daniel used to get excited, he used to bang his head on the ceiling because it was quite low. <laughs> Sorry, Daniel. Um, yeah. But so, we had lots of fun. If it's not fun, it's not sustainable. Right? It's You've got to have fun. And it's lasted all this time, right? So, so I'm just curious, the first year you wrote to 500 companies and you had 245 responses. What was it this year? Uh, well, uh, we, it's an annual cycle, so we're yeah. in 2022. So in 2021, we had... Uh, 13,000 companies representing 64% of global market capitalization, more than half the world's companies in value, disclosing through CDP. More than half the world's companies in value, disclosing through CDP. And and over a 1,000 cities, actually, in many states and regions. So, right. yeah, an amazing collaboration. And if, and if you take the investors, Bob Monks in 2001, who was then a very well-known investor activist, said to us, if you can get a trillion dollars investment capital, you have good bragging rights. You know, you'll get some attention. We got four and a half in, in 2002. In 2021, no, sorry, in 2022, we have uh, $130 trillion of investment capital asking for disclosure through CDP. That is more than half the world's money. Half the world's money. So, I'd love to just invite you both to reflect on one interesting element of CDP, which is, I mean, look at what you've done in 20 years, right? You've gone from a couple of people in a basement with a rat, a couple of hundred companies, investors not wanting to disclose, to half the world's money, more than half the world's companies by value, now disclosing through this system that is, as you said, voluntary. That What you've done in one telling of that is you have created a new form of political power, 
right? You have managed to focus the power of the money in the markets to shine sunlight into the system and expose something that was previously not there. But it's a sort of weird kind of power, right? I mean, you said smoke and mirrors at the beginning. It's definitely not smoke and mirrors now. We're sitting in the office with a couple of hundred people. I mean, this is a big operation here in London. But how do you think about that kind of power? What, what can it achieve in this world? We always talk about the fact that the power structures of the previous century aren't appropriate for helping us to break through the barriers that we've got now. You've created a new form of power. I'd love to just hear you both reflect a bit on what that is and what it can achieve. Well, I think, and I know Paul Dickinson might have a slightly different perspective from me, which will be valuable. The yin and the yang of 21 <laughs> years of, uh, of partnership. As my two eyes make one insight. <laughs> but I hadn't finished, actually. Um, <laughs> Uh, Pardon we, me. If, if we have an argument and can't resolve, we ask the ice caps because the ice caps always know. Okay. And do uh, they always answer? Well, they always answer. But just to point out, our mission was not the ice caps melting at a slower rate. They must be refreezing. Aha. Uh-huh. Like, okay. The ice caps yeah. will only be happy when they're refreezing. Clearly not. It's not happening. going that well. <laughs> okay. Ha- happening at the moment. But back to the question of power. We do jump around, don't we? Uh, back to the question of power. I think that you know the point of CDP was to make an intervention in the system, hmm. right? You know, what do I mean by the system? There are human systems. There are systems of capital markets, uh, economics. So we're trying to understand how does the system work, where we can intervene, where is the power concentrated? Who has the power to make decisions and to influence change? We, we chose, you know, people tend to choose either the investment community, they control a lot of money on other people's behalves, uh, governments, because it's then, you know, they get the votes, they get the power. You could argue corporations as well, particularly when they act together. So different forms of power. Ultimately, it's the people who have the real power, mm. but how do we use it? To hard, to, hard to wield. Well, hard to wield, hard to unify. How do we use the people power to influence the systems that we, the people, have created? There are systems, there are people. You know, there's no nothing else. It's all nature and people. Uh, so really, the, we look at the power is the money. If we can get investors to ask companies to do something, companies are likely to do it. So it's trying to sort of, I don't know if it's quite jujitsu, but it's like capturing the power that exists in the system and directing it in a different way. Hmm. Hmm. Would you agree yeah. with that? No, 100%. But but also how it, how it shows up, that power. I mean, you know, companies live or die, management fall or rise based upon the annual financial results. So there's a whole deeply, you know, in the DNA of, of the capital markets, of, of, of corporations, is, is annual financial reporting. So by getting annual environmental reporting on your greenhouse gas emissions or whatever, that data then goes into a sort of big accountability system. And, you know, CDP for a long time has been uh, getting that data out to companies like MSCI and FTSE and S&P who put it in their products and on the Bloomberg terminals. These are all, just explain what those companies are. Well, they're they're financial intermediaries, really, who package up information for investors principally. But I mean, actually, oddly enough, anyone listening to this program can go to the cdp.net website and download responses from giant companies up to a certain number you can download for free. And we really welcome the idea that, uh, you know, great corporations are accountable, not just for their financial performance, but for their environmental performance. So that's fascinating. And and I love what you just said, uh, uh, Paul Simpson, about, um, I love everything Paul Dickinson says, of course, but specifically, um, you just said, it's the jujitsu move of working out where the power exists already latent in society, and then focusing it in order to solve solutions. So talk a bit about, because in a way, investors, despite that remarkable growth in investors standing behind you and corporations responding, that's only one of the forms of power that you've leveraged. So talk about how you've expanded that in other ways. Yeah, so after getting some success with the investment community, we realised that actually companies are have immense power through their procurement. Mm. 
Hmm. So we launched a supply chain program where big corporations ask their suppliers to disclose. Now we have 250 multinationals, most importantly, with $5 trillion of annual procurement spend. So when those big companies ask their suppliers to disclose, if it's just one company suppliers, it may be. If we can get four multinationals to ask one company to disclose, we'll always get some disclosure because hmm. the people, the management will sit there and say, this is X percent of our sales. Of course we're going to give these people some information. So you have the power of investment, the power of procurement. You either have the power of competition. Hmm. Right? So many companies would say, well, our investors are asking us, uh, but also our competitors are doing it. We can't be seen to be left behind our competitors. That, you know, so much you know, uh, fear about how do we compare to each other. We have that as humans. Companies have it. Investors have it. In fact, almost sadly, for quite some time, it's changed now, the investors who had access to the data would first look at their competitors before looking at the companies they invest in. <laughs> <laughs> that, and that's changed now because now the investment community has woken up. This is a major risk. You need to use the data you know, to, be, to be better and sell your products. But one more fun fact. Um, Paul says that we realize that, that purchase had a great authority. But shout out to all the interns listening. It was actually an intern at Walmart. She worked out that it would be really cool to share CDP with the supply chain. And so uh -huh. uh, Walmart then contacted us and we were like, oh my, this is the biggest thing in the world. Uh -huh. Completely true. No, completely true. And another bit of power is like, you know, when you're uh, a teenager, you're preparing for your exams, you have to do exams, you get an A, B, C or D. Pretty nerve wracking, right? Not, you know, it's an amazing time because you get stretched and grow but you know you get judged and you you know how do you perform against your peers well cdp is really and paul dickinson often says this a global examination system for all the world's companies and cities and states and regions they get ranked how good is their disclosure how good is their climate and environmental performance and and those rankings have enormous you know impact i've had people phone me up and say well this is ridiculous you know i have only got a b i'm not going to get my bonus this year <laughs> uh, i've had other people phone me up and say paul we got an A. I don't want an A. I need to persuade my board to give me another, you know, 50 million for investing in environmental projects. If you give me a B or C, I can argue a business case. I need more investment to do right, more. Right, we're not there. <laughs> and of course, you know, the worst ones are the kind of F, right? F is failed to disclose. It couldn't even be bothered to provide any more information. Who wants to fail? Well, sadly, 17,000 companies last year didn't disclose to CDP when asked. Uh, everybody should find out who they are. It's all on the CDP website and go after them. So... So that's, I want to get in a minute to like what you've found in terms of, because we talked about disclosure and the use of that power. I want to get to like what you found in terms of how the world is now dealing with the crisis. But I also just want to ask one more question about power and authority, which is the original brilliant idea to focus this power on a particular outcome, put you all in a position of considerable responsibility to work out how it gets focused, what questions are asked. And, you know, someone might look at this and say, on what authority are they deciding what should and shouldn't be asked in those questions, right? Because if you have most regulators or author you know, forms of authority are the result of elected power, I mean, you could look at this and say, isn't this an unelected NGO that's used the power of- Stop the, the recording. The Stop the recording. <laughs> use the power of the market to focus it on issues that they think are important. Like, how do you answer that question? How do you, how do you wield power responsibly once you've grown up? Well, great question. And I think, firstly, you know, you have to earn and keep trust. Mm. Right? Why did investors say, well, yes, we will let you use our name to request disclosure? Why did those 245 and then this growing number every year of companies disclose? You know, 
two reasons, I think. One is that we have always acted purely in the public good. Mm. Right? We're not here to serve ourselves. We're not here to kind of... We have grown an organisation because everything else has grown to grow impact. But it's not self-fulfilling, ultimately. It's actually about public good and the mission. Right? Mm. We're, so we're super true to the mission, one. And then the other thing is to kind of behave very professionally. Don't mess about. Don't disrespect people. You know, build relationships, treat their data carefully, hold them to account, yes, be, be clear what you're going to do. If I show up at your house and say, Tom, I've come to your house, I'm going to do X and Y and Z in your garden. Now, if you really understand it, you might let me. If you don't, you won't. You're welcome to come and do anything in my garden, by the way, if you want to come and, you know. Can I come and swim in your pool? Yeah. <laughs> um, Tom's <laughs> built a pool full of it's, dead frogs. It's actually a pond, exactly. It's a pond, <laughs> it's a pond. Um, no, I, what, was it, what else did you say? I think. Well, just, yeah, I think you put it perfectly. It's that, it's that going out to the investors each year, to the to the uh, purchasing organizations each year and saying we'd like to use your authority again yes these are the questions we're planning to ask i see uh, so it is essentially it is built on annual cycles of consent uh, and we're incredibly transparent in public so you know when we do our public consultation on what the questions should be for the following year literally thousands of experts all over the world write to us and and i think we're very pleased and proud to be a sort of nexus of a global brain working on this and evolving this and with with as you said real power used correctly to so so companies can sort of be their better selves and the other thing to say that you know it's easy in the world to say well companies are all bad right and of course some are and some do, many do bad things but there's a whole system here again that humans have created and within these companies and investors and governments there are many amazing people hmm. you know who get it who want to drive change you want you know you can argue most people want to do well I would argue so it's finding those people yeah. who then say wow you've given me an outlet to push something else forward against the system that isn't actually a person hmm. oh a final super important point it's kind of obvious but we are a not-for-profit organization so we're a uk registered charity we're involved in other not-for-profit structures around the world we've received extraordinary backing from people like the uk prime minister wrote a letter for our first launch madeleine albright spoke at our first launch in 2003 in the us the secretary of the united christiana nations figueres, christiana figueres the, the christiana figueres dame christiana figueres but no, I mean, honestly, Angela Merkel wrote the introduction to our German report when she was first chancellor in 2006, spoke at our launch last year in Berlin, the prime ministers of Japan. All politicians kind of love us because they can see that we represent the sort of power of the market to kind of correct itself. It's an interesting point, though, isn't it? You know, and, and one that is, a, is the result of success, right? I mean, you become successful, you become powerful. And then how do you wield that power in a manner that continues to grow the success? Um, but that's it's very interesting to hear you reflect on it. I'd love to ask, I mean, our listeners are all over the world, all kinds of different people, people who would sort of be very predisposed to the idea that business contains much of the solutions to climate and those who would say that business is causing the problem. There's very few people in the world who would be as well positioned as you and you, Dickinson, I'll say that. No, I'm uh, pointing at Paul. Sorry, yeah. It's a difficult <laughs> question and I think Paul's going to answer I, very I'd, well. I'd love you to just give us a... You know, from your sitting in the seat you're in, you're, you're out of this job on the day this podcast comes out, you've stepped down after all this time. How is the corporate world doing in response to this challenge? Have we come, if you look back to all those years ago, are you pleased with the progress? Do you wish we'd gone further? How do you judge our success or otherwise? I mean, we've made enormous progress. Right? Mm. You know, it's literally 21, 22 years ago, head in the sand, people not even aware, you know, was climate change real? Was it really a problem? 
if it's a problem it's so far in the future we're focused on the now the business cycle is really you know five years planning maximum um so we've made enormous progress i think we've won the battle on awareness right yeah. everybody because there was very little awareness then everybody gets climate change is a massive problem it's human's responsibility we have to do something first point secondly not only is it a problem we have to act we collectively have responsibility now there are clearly some in the business system that are still reneging on that and i'll come on to that in a minute but i think you know generally most large well-run businesses we really know we have responsibility here we have to act so and you know great there's almost like base one is achieved base two is achieved where we are now is we need a radical transformation of the global economy super quickly right, right. in the next eight years emissions need to go down seven percent per annum to get to our you know where we need to be in 2030 a 50 percent cut 45 to 50 but let's aim for 50 in case we're short so it's how quickly can we transform? And I think the challenge then is that, you know, the global business system, as Paul Diaz said, is set up to, in one sense, make money. Um, the other thing is to provide what people want. Um, and people want lots of things, you know, people not homogeneous. But there you have lots of business saying, well, we want to be part of the solution. We can make money out of being the solution. This is a huge growth opportunity. But you still have a lot of businesses who understandably like, we're providing something that still has utility currently for some people. They're willing to pay for it. But maybe we we don't have a business of the future, and then you see this like still some parts of the business system gripping on. Mm. You know, I mean, the fossil fuel industry is is, is the worst part of that, but there, there are other parts, and it's how do we pick away at each sector to get that transformation? We need energy, right? Yeah. So you know, is a fossil fuel company going to become an energy company of the future or a dead fossil fuel company of the past? You know, it's up to them. Uh, but there's still a lot of entrenchment. I would say my biggest concern is the businesses who are putting the brakes on regulation. Hmm. Yeah, so gov most governments are trying to regulate to address this problem. Is it enough? No. But again, lots of good regulation. There's a massive wave of disclosure regulation coming. Then we need a bigger wave on transition planning, incentives. How do we accelerate the change and transformation? So any company that's blocking regulation is unacceptable. The investors should be given their hard time. People should stop buying from them. Paul Dickinson also always said, well, you vote with your money. Right, so we vote at the electoral polls. That was e Ma Madeleine Albright's phrase. I was just copying. Ah, oh, well, she said at our launch. <laughs> but yeah, every time you buy something, you're voting for it to be there again. Right. right? So every right. single thing you buy it doesn't matter if it's a, a penny sweet, a car, a house, a beer. Everything you buy, you're telling the markets you want it again. Hmm. Right. So, so you have to think very consciously. Like, what am I buying? What are the signals I'm sending? So I think the business system is kind of. Has We need the business system. It has enormous potential to be part of the solution. We have to find solutions to the part of the system that either feels threatened or is holding on unnecessarily. So, I, I, Paul, I want you to come in, but I just want to dig one step deeper into that because, you know, you you, you referenced the, the mountain we have still to climb to 2030, right? There's, there's different ways of looking at this. One way is to say the last 20 years we have made enormous progress and we're now geared for the big jump in the next few years. And the other way is to look at it and say, we still haven't really done it, right? We've sort of, we've made some progress. There's been a few technology changes, but that 7%, I mean, that is a nightmare now that we need to make the, that kind of deep emissions cuts. I mean, do you feel that business is where it needs to be in order to, okay, that's a, that's, a, that's a really tall order from here. Do you feel that the leaders you see in business, the investment plans that are out there, gives you confidence that business will play a really meaningful part and will be part of that success over the next few years? Business will definitely play a meaningful part. And if you look at 
all, I mean, again, nothing's homogeneous. If you look at all businesses, maybe 10 or 20 or 30% of the businesses are progressive. They get it. They're really pushing hard. They still yeah. need to do more. We all need to do more. But they're, you know, they're sort of geared up to be a massive part of the solution. You know, you've probably got a third that are part of the problem that need regulation and, and, and different change. And the rest is on the fence. All the time, we're getting more and more businesses to move into the positive solutions. Every day, every week, people are waking up, people are realising, and the economics are changing. The pressure from the investment community is increasing. Mm. The regulation signals. So we're, we're in the great transformation. The question is, what are the further interventions need to accelerate that? Because right, right now, we're not on track. Yeah. The, 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 our metaphorical boss, the ice caps, is really unhappy. You know, Paul Dixon, Paul Simpson, you haven't done your job properly. I'm melting. Sort it out, right? And, you know, it's not solely on our shoulders, thankfully. There's a lot of people in this planet. I blame you. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, well, you know, you're not taking your own responsibility, Tom. What are you going to no, do about not. it? Right? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to just like add a, a little bit, which is, you know, you ask this business in the right place. No, it's obviously not kind of because the emissions are out of control and we're not reducing 7% a year and most of the emissions are coming from business, so they're obviously in the wrong place. But I think, you know, it's been such a sort of pleasure and honor for me to, to work with Paul and many other brilliant people to get corporations thinking about this. So, for example, one of our favorite stats is first-year companies report to CDP, they, about 30% of them, or about a third, have emissions reduction targets. By the third year, it's 60%. Boeing, bless them, in 2009, they, they got as near as I've ever seen to a company sort of kind of giving us a, a you know, a gold star. They said, um, CDP says, do you have environmental performance targets? We didn't, but we do now. <laughs> <laughs> but this leads me on to my final point, which is actually we've got to recognize that, you know, Paul, Paul you're absolutely right. We're talking about your responsibility when you're buying something or when you're investing Although we're voting with our money, we're also kind of parents of that system. And we've got to parent it. You can't just allow the corporation to say, oh, they're big and they're out there. No, no, we've got shares in them. We're buying from them. And we've got to parent them using data and using you know, um, a, a learning process, if you will, to, to get our sort of systems to, to allow us to do the right thing. Hmm. Well, I completely agree. And the other thing, we, we have this problem i think being humans is like well there's there's nature and there's humans no i mean we're nature and nature is us yeah who made the businesses we the people made the businesses right now then the system gets designed in a certain way that if people operate in a, in a certain way they'll generally make more money and now i don't think like one's life purpose is to make the most amount of money but some people clearly do so how do we how do we change that system and the incentives yeah you know, how do we regulate it you know it, i think it's if you look at it's outrageous the difference between the lowest paid person and the highest paid person in a large corporation it can be a multiple of thousands driving inequality in the world completely unacceptable we have to just change that hmm. let's start with some disclosure sign some light on it then let's have some regulation Mm. So, yeah, I think business, you're much more stark on it. Business is not in the right place, but it's wrong to put all the blame on business. We all have to take responsibility right. as citizens, as investors, as voters. And if everybody does all of those things, then the signals will change. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. And I love that. I love the, 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 the hunt for the further accelerations that are now necessary for the transformation. I think it's a really good way to put it. And I'd, I'd love to just ask you a slightly cheeky question. As of today, this podcast comes out, you're, you're doing other things with your life. And I, 
I'm going to try and get you to tell us what they're going to be in a minute. But before I do, what should he do? Dickinson's still here. So CDP carries on. You know, the work is amazing, two decades in. Um, but the world is changing, right? The SEC is coming out with regulations that will presumably, you should tell me, make disclosure part of a regulated system. Now, you could absolutely say that's job done, right? That's what you wanted. And in a way, you guys have done more than anyone to bring that about. But given that change and given other change in the marketplace, good and bad, the role of CDP will presumably have to change. So what in your, you now have the most expansive view of leaving the organization. You haven't got to deliver it. You can sort of wax lyrical. What should CDP do next? Well, firstly, the job is not done because the ice caps are melting, not refreezing. So yeah. Paul Dickinson's got some work to do. He'd better put his socks up. <laughs> what, 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 what? I remember work. What? That's right, work. So you're going to find out what it is now. But, Paul but the, the other thing that, you know, climate change is a global challenge problem. Um, you know, market capital can move across national boundaries. We don't have a fully-fledged global government. I love the vision of the United Nations. You know, it struggles to deliver because of national protection. Um, so we have built a piece of global infrastructure in terms of climate disclosure, but more than just climate disclosure, in terms of climate accountability. And climate and, and environment, we're not just climate, we're water and forest. So Paul Dickinson and, you know, 560-odd colleagues are stewards of this piece of infrastructure that the world needs, cuts across national boundaries, boundaries and drives accountability in the system. Yes, we're absolutely delighted of this wave of disclosure regulation. You know, we've got to get the SEC through the US courts, which is problematic. <laughs> not right easy, now. right? I mean, how many years is that going to take? You know, let's not even talk about the Supreme Court because it's in a right, right mess. Um, so, you know, that's a problem. So we, what CDP can do on disclosure is adopt all of these evolving regulations and standards so that there is a global system that pushes norms in a race at the top. CDP will be continue to be the environmental disclosure system that sets the highest bar, pushes the innovation in disclosure, and not just on climate, but expanding out to cover all the planetary boundaries, you know, land, water, oceans, etc. So there's a lot of work to do there. But then how do you use that mechanism, the data and the relationships, these investors and thousands of companies, not just for disclosure. I've not got out of bed for disclosure a single day for the last 21 years. It's what does the what does the mechanism of disclosure drive in terms of change? Yeah. The power of asking people questions. Have we got a strategy on climate change? Have we got a mission reduction target? CDP can put new questions into the disclosure platform. You might remember, Tom, in 2015, we put one in, did companies, were they in support of a Paris agreement on climate change? I remember vividly. Thank you very much for doing so, that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and many more companies yeah. did. Yeah. Yes. Christiana, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so as, the, as the ecosystem evolves, as the need for change evolves, that the dynamism of CDP system... And secondly, you know, CDP is completely global. The disclosure from more than 100 countries. We're getting a patchwork of regulation, which is very welcome from national governments. But how do we get that all around the world? Yeah, some countries are going to go further and faster. The EU is going the whole shebang on, on disclosure, all environmental and social issues, double materiality, very technical, geeky word, but basically the impact on the Save company. Save that for a special. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing an 1,800-part series on double materiality starting in forever. We're getting geeky on disclosure, but in simple terms, double materiality, single materiality, which some is in the market to focus on, the impact on the company. Okay. Double materiality, the impact on the company and the people on the planet. We have to have double materiality, people and planet. Clay, we're going to need a little bit of music to get us through that. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> a clay special. Can I, can I just build on one thing there, which which is also I think you've described perfectly, Paul. And also, these regulations are coming, 
but they're going to come at the speed at which the regulators feel confident. And I, I often think of CDP as a massive regulatory impact assessment, that if most companies in, in a country are doing something already, then the regulator can say, oh, well, we're going to make that into a regulation now. And then CDP can right. move a little bit further and, you know, expanding to these other themes and, you know, climate change is going to be with us for decades. The regulation is always going to be kind of catching up and more and more everything's pointing toward the need now for taxation and regulation. Right. You know, and then also when you so regulators have a super important job, protect the public good. Difficult job because they're getting lobbied by everyone, different sides, you know, you've got electoral cycles, et cetera, et cetera. But whenever we meet regulators and say, you should bring in climate disclosure, environmental disclosure regulations, they pause for a second normally, which is wise. And then they say, Well, how many companies already do that? <laughs> right? And and it's a bit uh, it's a very logical question, but it's a bit depressing question because what they really mean is if no one in the market is doing this, it's really quite difficult for us to push these companies so hard right. because you know, we will get pushed back. If half the market is doing it, so in the US now, 80% of the S&P 500, the 500 largest US companies, are disclosing through CDP on climate. The SEC, not solely because of CDP, lots of great work from many other US NGOs, series and others, um, to push the SEC. But the SEC is now emboldened to bring in a climate disclosure rule. Yeah. Right? So we have they, to... They show, can't lead that, right? They have to They have to follow the, the to, market. To some yeah. extent, yeah, yeah. They can raise the floor, yeah. but they can't set the ceiling. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So you need innovative, passionate people, uh, it sounds like a singer in praises a little bit, it's not meant to be, um, to push change. Yeah. I've got one more question for Paul, if I may, which yeah. is, um, I think that the, the regulatory thing is absolutely fantastic. Um, CDP is, is not just climate change, it's water, water and forest, it's going to expand more. You've done an amazing job, Paul, and everyone agrees, um, helping the International Sustainability Standards Board of the IFRS accelerate its development with it's the... It's going to be another special series. With the yeah, inclusion yeah. <laughs> of our very own Climate Disclosure Standards Board, which we transferred to them. Can you tell a little bit about how that deal came together and, and how you what was your vision for it? Well, I mean, the context... In, you got 60 seconds on this one, yeah. Well, the context, <laughs> uh, which might be more interesting, is, is partly that when you run an NGO, there's a lot of pressure to grow the NGO, raise the money, pay everyone's salaries, of course, right? You have to do this. So it's difficult running an organisation because there's a bit of pressure to, to grow and deliver, of course, yeah. Yeah, as it should be to a certain extent. But sometimes you think, what is the ultimate goal here? It's good that the global accounting standards body is now taking on environmental and social disclosure. That's a good thing. How do we help them? We're going to give them one of our greatest assets, the Climate Disclosure Standards Board. We're going to give them the intellectual property, you know, the knowledge we've built up, and we're going to give them people. So we transferred them in January so that we're institutionalising our work. You know, it's great that an NGO does something voluntary, market-based, using the levers, but actually building things into the institutions that exist in society yeah. at some point. And again, that's setting the floor. We've still got to keep raising that bar. It's, it's interesting. I mean, as you try and change the world in a systemic way, you often run into institutional gaps, right? We as a society just haven't created some of the institutions we need that take us into the future and some need to be built, some need to be let go of. Um, so we're, we don't have much more time. I want to ask you very quickly, I don't know if you want to answer this question, but what are you going to do now? I mean, you're sort of leaving CDP at this amazing moment, having run it for all these years. Mission accomplished across the back Mission of the aircraft carrier. Yeah, exactly. Paul yeah, in his yeah, flight yeah. suit. Yeah. Mind you, that didn't end very well, I mean, so that's well, a no, wrong no, no, metaphor. It, it, honestly, I think you can leave feeling mission accomplished. Not everything solved, but look at where you started, look where you got to the regulatory process. I mean, looking at it from where I see it, I hope that you feel immensely proud of what you've achieved over these decades here because it is astonishing. And thank you, I would also say, from all of us. But there's going to be another chapter in the life of Paul Simpson, I hope, for, again, for all of us, 
Do you know what that's going to be? Uh, well, I am immensely proud. You know, from where we've come, we've achieved so much, and that should be celebrated. You know, but we haven't reached the, the end goal. Uh, no, I, my I have a coach for work. Very lucky uh, has given me the book, The Art of Not Knowing. I haven't read it yet. Uh, I haven't stopped work yet. But I'm gonna. I don't know what it's like to wake up and not think about CDP. That's absolutely true. Okay. Every single day, including Saturday, Sunday, I wake up. These are the things I didn't do yesterday. These are the things I need to do today. Weekends, they can part them and be done later. Um, so, you know, I'm going to slow down, which you might notice from the way I talk would be a good thing. I'm going to... <laughs> I believe it when I see it, listen. Take some time to reflect, you know. Nice. Because it, it, we do get in this cycle of action. You know, when you're in a job or you have commitments and demands on your, on your life, it's lucky to have generally you get in a cycle of action. So there's importance to sort of slow down and reflect. I'm going to go on a holiday and spend a lot of time with my nine-year-old and six-year-old children. And then I'm going to consciously explore what next with exam questions, which at the moment will evolve. I don't know exactly, you you know, how do I make my next intervention in the system to close the gap between what the science requires and where the markets are. CDP has been in this amazing intervention. We need CDP to grow and, and push forward. And to do that, I'm going to go and spend some time in nature. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to talk to my great friends. And at some point in the next three, four, five months, I'm, I will yeah. know. Nice. Nice. That's, that's, that feels like an amazing plan to step out into that. And brave to step out into the not knowing. But I have a suspicion you won't be short of offers if you look at the world at the moment. Um, Paul Simpson, it is such a privilege to talk to you. We have to ask you our closing question, which is, as you leave CDP, you reflect on 20 years, you look to the future. Can you tell us one thing you're outraged by and one thing you're optimistic about? Um, I'm absolutely outraged by corporate lobbying against the policies that are needed from regulators. It must stop immediately. Investors need to stop it. People need to stop buying from these companies. Um, one, what I'm optimistic about, humans are generally good people. No one wants to destroy the world by climate change. Talk to a person, engage with them what they really want. Everybody wants to solve this problem, right? We've just got to empower everybody. Here's the information, here's what to do, and we can get it done. Amazing. Paul, thank you for 20 years of work on this. Thank you for a big impact on my own career. Um, On behalf of all of us, very good luck. Excited to see what's next. And thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, dear friend. Thank you, dear friend. Hey everyone, this is Clay back in the studio. What a great conversation and thank you to Paul Simpson for joining us on the podcast this week. Uh, You can connect with Paul online, links to his social media and of course links to CDP in the show notes, cdp.net. As promised, credits this week are being done by Paul Simpson himself. Can't wait for you to hear that in just a moment. But first, our musical guest for this week is our man in the field. I'll hand it over now to Alex from the band to introduce the song and answer our world-famous podcast question, as you all know. Have a great week or weekend, everyone, and we'll see you soon. Here's Alex. I'm Alex, and my band is called Our Man in the Field. The song you're about to hear is called Thin, I Used to Be Bulletproof, and it's about the changing perceptions of what a good role model is. It's about my father and how he never got to enjoy the benefits of his work in life, Now, for a long time, I thought his generation and mine were very different. But then once my own son was born, how I understood my dad uh, a lot better and his motivations. And I wondered if he'd have done things differently, had he known that he wouldn't have got to enjoy uh, the fruits of his labour. And so uh, to the question of what outrages me about climate change, it's that Climate change denial is still given equal space and equal platform to fact and science. 
we rarely see debates about different solutions to climate change. It's always, is there climate change or is it nonsense or is something else going on? And it slows everything down. It would be nice if we could just unanimously agree that this is happening. But what makes me optimistic is that whereas older generations who you can sort of understand because they grew up trusting newspapers and television news because there were standards in life and standards meant something and they believe that if somebody's on television or in a broadsheet newspaper then you know they must be important and there must be validity to what they've got to say what gives me optimism is whenever i work with or speak to younger people they see straight through it it cuts no ice and they reject it entirely thankfully those young people will be in charge soon. Two, three, four.
growing thin Another episode of Outrage and Optimism. This is Paul Simpson uh, doing the credits. I'd like to thank so many people, in fact, everybody, but let's just say Tessa Tennant for the inspiration. Tessa! And the can-do attitude, our co-founder of the late Tessa Tennant, the mover and shaker in response to investment in the UK and globally. The Dutch entrepreneur, Eckhart Vincent. Eckhart! A, a mentor to mine who had the wisdom to write me a cheque for £11,000 in May 2001 and say, go and work for CDP for six months. Uh, so, you know, and then I can leave my temp job in finance. To Paul Dickinson for the professional marriage... <laughs> Uh, we've had for 21 years, but more darling. seriously. Darling. Oh, well, yes, darling. More seriously, the friendship, the port, the challenge. You've always been there for me, and I know you always will be. You're getting all cheesy now. I always will. Um, that to uh, Jeremy Smith for creating a nickname for every single person we ever met and making, <laughs> therefore, you never forget their names. Very, very clever. And sending magnets of champagne when he failed to come and stuff the envelopes. Yeah. Mm, Jeremy. Uh, to my amazing uh, business partner, uh, executive assistant, Juliana, who uh, has just been my right arm, left leg, and wise guidance. Um, you know, to the board, the staff, there are 560 people working on CDP and approximately, well, guess, a thousand alumni, all the people in the companies, all the people in the investors, all the people in the governments, uh, the coaches I've had who've challenged me and given me wisdom, and ultimately to every single person who wants to take action on climate change. Thank you. Thank you.